1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today, we're into to slightly different u- than usual. I often talk to authors, but today we're going to have about a story, a story of a newly hired leader who's overwhelmed, a few of us in that category, and but I'm glad positively she's very supported by her managers um, and the ways that she sort of expected to be supported. Um, promises were great by her manager and then which accepted the job, but as for many of us, the reality isn't quite the same when you're in the role. So through this story, we're going to explore why she's in this situation and what she can do about it. And you'll find what we want to really talk about is how does she, and therefore you, advocate for yourself. And I think you're going to find this is a fun and enlightening episode. My guest today is a former guest who's one of our top show producers, show um, uh, subscribers, I should say. She's an executive coach, facilitator, writer, and speaker, Amy Baylog. And she wakes up every morning and pursues her passionate mission to help leaders understand their inner peace as a fuel for their performance. And so she uses the phrase peace over performance. And I will say that's one of the podcasts we did in the last year, and it still is in the top 10 of podcast <laughs> listening as throughout the year. So her company is Connection Point. And before launching that in 2008, Amy spent 17 years leading sales and solution practices across global firms in management consulting and systems integration industry. And she offers executive leadership, team growth experiences, work with a range of Fortune 500 companies across healthcare, media, high-tech energy, and manufacturing. Um, And the list goes on. Amy, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, it's one. It's so good to be here, Wanda. Again, that's <laughs> good. It's very hey, good. The number of people who make it back twice
1: is very small number. And then we have to get the ones that make it back three times. I think about two of them. So we'll have to have oh, you back a third time.
2: Wow. Well, that's an honor. Well, this will be very different from the first one. It'll connect to it a little bit, but this is very different. And I'm I'm also excited about this format we're going after today, the story-based format.
3: Because
1: there are too few times when we actually get that done. Right. All right. So, Amy, let's get started on this one. But I always like to ask at the beginning from everybody, why does it matter? Why do you care about these kind of stories for people who are not advocating for themselves?
2: Well, I think, first of all, you and I have talked about this before as executive coaches. We have the wonderful vantage of the seat of, you know, meeting with people across so many industries and people at the compression point from director, senior director, vice president and such in the, in this compression middle management area. And this is a common story. This is a very common story. It's very complex, but it can be navigated. And I think what we want to do today is, you know, tackle the pain. So why this matters is this is this, I believe, what we're going to talk about is relevant to a lot of people that are finding themselves in middle management to senior middle management today. And it's an incredible struggle. It was before COVID, uh, but it is now still even more so. And we're going to get into all the nuances and then how to simply break them apart and start to tackle them. And this is going to be like a a case study podcast, essentially. Okay. All right. It's a great. Now,
1: I, just, I described this kind of briefly, and I'm going to get you to tell us the whole story in a minute. Our main character is female. Right. Try Right at the stop, starts, do you think this is unique to women, or are men experiencing the same thing?
2: I think it's both men and women can experience this, but there could be some definite nuances about, and, and we can maybe point those out as we go, where women might um, veer into something a little bit more or less than a, than a guy might. But I never like to make that too black and white in my distinction. Anybody can fall into the situation and sort of experience the same struggles.
1: Well, I certainly see this scenario being overwhelmed, not having what you need, not knowing where to turn. The job isn't quite what you thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And the pressures to perform are high. I think that's across the board with every manager we see. Right. And I'm not so sure it's just middle ranks. I think it goes all the way up to the top of the food That's right.
2: So this will be relevant for everybody.
1: (laughs) So tell me the story of Tracy. What's happened to her?
2: So Tracy is a wonderful person, extremely talented, and she's, you know, at a good pitch of her life. She's in her, you know, uh, just going to turn 40 and she's got a beautiful family and she's she's just got a new job. Now, what she's walking into is she's replacing someone whose name was Maggie. Maggie quit. Maggie was she resigned. She was the Maggie was a director of sales operations for a let's just say it was a software solution company high growth and riding a very good growth wave and th- there's a lot of new people coming into the board of this company some new executives all ginned up with initiatives fresh initiatives to take this company's growth to the next level to you know validate all the investments being made in this company and so what they're going to do is they're going to try to go after selling to larger customers, longer sales cycles and, you know, drive some recurring revenue business models. And the company was and, and they hired a big consulting firm to, to help out, of course. And then in the meantime, new chief operating officer is in the company that, you know, is wanting to have more disciplined g- governance of all the functions and have things measured and they're and, he, and that person's bound to the CFO. So They're not going to just let people willy nilly, you know, make decisions about their domains. They want discipline. So that's all happening. What happened with Maggie was Maggie is also an amazing person. She created the sales ops organization for this company and grew up with it. And she was a subject matter expertise off the charts. I mean, she and her team did the impossible so many times over and over again. So she has this band of, you know, this little tribe of this team and they work really hard and some days they were heroes but some days they were the heels of the company because sometimes they couldn't come through the technologies maybe aren't the right technologies for what's needed that's already coming over the hill so what tracy so maggie's burned out and maggie's team loved her because she worked just as hard as all of them. She was like the chief SME. <laughs> and, uh, and she was adored by many people and got along, but she quit because it was just too much and didn't make the case. So Tracy's come in. They gave her a bigger title. Maggie was a director. Now Tracy's a senior director. And, you know, they want her to move mountains. But, you know, here's what Tracy's coming on to the scene right away. First of all, the, pe- the team is completely burnt out they're immediately not a fan of Tracy because Tracy doesn't have the same subject matter expertise that they have and Ugh. doesn't necessarily understand the same, you know, war, doesn't have this, the war scars that they've been through. And, you know, some of them are fairly cynical. Um, you know, they've seen a lot of some executive turnover. Jack, Tracy's boss, nice guy, but laissez-faire. You know, sometimes he's involved. He's kind of hot and cold. You know, where's Jack? Jack does things, but it's very inconsistent. Jack and Maggie didn't have the best relationship, but it was cordial. And then there's not enough headcount clearly for sales ops. Uh, Sales ops needs to be working uh, really well with this data analytics team that is demanding data every single day in every single way you can possibly imagine. And the tools and the things they have to do to generate that data for data analytics is incredible and it takes enormous amount of time. Uh, It's very complex. Marketing uh, and sales organizations are struggling with sales ops, but sometimes they're also best buddies because there's relationships there, even though they have these ridiculous amount of workarounds. So, basically, Tracy, right off the get-go, realizes this job is 50 times bigger than she thought it was. That she's going to have to reposition sales ops. That's what she's got. And so she. And I'll end the story with this, just as 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 the conclusion is. Tracy has a choice to either go into this production trap purgatory that is pull, that is screaming to pull her in <laughs> or to empower herself and navigate differently in this quagmire where very few people will readily support her in what she'll have to do.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: I can't tell
1: you Amy, how many hundreds of times in a given month, I think, I hear a comparable story. So let me just flag the things that really strike me. We got a team that was loyal to somebody else. Completely loyal for the good reasons, for the wrong reasons. I don't care, but they're incredibly loyal. Partly because they have been through the, as you said, the battle scars together. So there's a long shared history there. And They built something together. That's a bonding experience. And they liked having a manager who knew all the technical details. Lots of teams do. It makes them happy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Tracy hasn't been through it with them. She replaced Maggie, which they're really upset about probably any rate. And Tracy's not the same depth of experience that Maggie was. Okay, great. How many times do I see that? And we have a manager that sometimes, like Jack, seen a manager above Tracy that steps in, steps out, steps in, steps out, you know, shouldn't be overly involved. It's not his job to be overly involved. Mm-hmm. And I bet he thinks, well, what am I worrying about? Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And a team that's burned out. Yes. Okay. And it's easy. Most people would say at that point, that what Tracy needs to do is to set her priorities,
2: mm-hmm.
1: set her vision for the team, clearly what they're going to be, articulate that in a really compelling way, and um, set her priorities on what they're going to do first, second, and third. <laughs> Excuse me? I bet you have a different answer, though.
2: <laughs> well, okay. So we got we to gotta divide. You got to look at this as an anatomy, right? Okay. I'm going to use language. We're going to say outer game, inner game. So Tracy has an outer game, and these are the things that she has to think about what she's going to do organizationally. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's the inner game, which we'll get to afterwards, because the inner game is, well, what does she have to have going on inside of herself? What does she have to be thinking and talking to herself about to be able to do this outer game? So let's, let's tackle the outer game first. Okay. And you're right about the priorities, you know, you're right, but that's actually not where to start. So interestingly enough, there's, there's something that I think of with, when our clients is, if you think about this, she has to divide this into categories so that she can figure out what she needs to tackle by way of something I'll say, I'll describe it as orientation. Mm -hmm. We if you look at the situation I described at its, right at its face, it could be very disorienting in a thousand ways, right? Yeah. It's like me sending somebody up to space and you lose gravity and you're just spinning around. Where's your head? Where's your feet? You know, It's, it's a business vertigo. <laughs> so she's got to figure out where she's planning herself and you have to get oriented, period. So there's three areas of orientation. And I'm going to look at my notes a little bit because this is so deep, but I'm going to try to be this succinct because we've just got so little time. But and we'll talk about these, regardless if somebody actually has a vision or not. So there likely isn't a cohesive vision between sales ops, sales, marketing, data analytics, and customer service. I bet <laughs> there's not. But the orientation that Tracy needs is at the business level. For She needs some orientation at the business level. So she needs to look specifically at the things that are driving the most concrete, And significant business decisions that are happening in the business. So one of those would be the governance decision of, you know, OKRs and did, you know, that decision. She's got to look at the decision about what they're going to do with selling. She's got to look at the decisions. Now this this is different looking at decisions versus initiatives. Initiatives are get us into a place of what are all the work tasks we become immediately the project manager for initiatives. That's not bad. That's coming. But that the starting point is what are all the main decisions that have dedicated runway, no matter what they are, no matter whether they have initiatives or just attached to or not. And how does my area attach to those decisions? You can't, even if there's no vision, you can still figure that out. And one of my clients that I adore I'm working with right now calls this the golden thread <laughs> calls this. I love that term. Like that's golden the golden thread. thread. Yeah. So we tend to think like, you know, how typical planning goes, like there's top-down planning where it's like, here's the big initiatives and you, the goals of the company and you align right. your goals. And sometimes that stays and sometimes that goes wacky. It? Mm-hmm. The thing that always grounds you is who's made what decisions, what money is behind these decisions and how does my stuff have anything to do with it, so that I have a golden thread to have a story attached to any of those. Right. Okay. That's business orientation. Right. Okay. That's the first one. Do you want me to keep going to the next one, or do you want to say anything? Uh, Well, let's pause on that one for a minute, because my question there is, how do you know?
1: I mean, you can look at where money is getting spent, but that doesn't always tell you
2: where the, the obvious connection points are. Most of my clients, when I ask them, even in they're in a the very varied and middle organization, can ask people and find out enough what the big focus areas are in the company by way which executives are driving, um, driving things into the organization. For instance, she <coughs> might not personally know the COO or CFO or any of that, but if all her peers are like, this is required now that we do this that's a big driving thing. So you can just, you know, there's, if she goes in and everybody wants her to be Maggie, she's going to go into the, uh, if everybody wants her to be Maggie, she's going to go into the work production trap that Maggie was in. Right. If you, you know, in the very beginning of stepping into a job in a way, this is kind of an onboarding podcast too, is you have a window to go ahead and interview people like, right? Because you're new. So you can go ask a million questions. And usually what I do with my clients is send a whole bunch of discovery questions to them. So go interview people and find out what is changing the tide of the organization and what are the key decisions that everybody seems to be trying to follow, <laughs> there's an initiative or not. And you can find that out. Yeah, And it's not as hard as you think. You can really find it out. Some have initiatives to them and some don't. Yeah. But they are the key things that the organization is focusing on. So, and some of them are really evident and and for real. In other words, well, if they hired a big consulting company to figure something out, that's a pretty real deal thing.
1: Okay, okay, all right. Some of these become language. Like I'm thinking about one client where digital by default. Many mm-hmm. of my clients from that company will know who I'm talking about. The rest of the world <laughs> won't know. That was pervasive throughout that company for years. But it's not clear, and everybody picked it up and everybody used it, but it's not clear that there was any real money behind it mm-hmm. or any real substantive issue initiatives. There were some, but you know, the net thing is it hasn't taken any traction. So you're talking about where there's money, where everybody is talking about it, where the senior most people are focused on what does this mean and how we do it, and where you can see that this is going to drive the business forward, the whole yeah. business forward. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay, all right. Sure. Business orientation, great. And how, more importantly, how does what I do attach to that business right. objective?
2: Okay. Right. If people uh, are being pushed to do, if people really are seeing, like, for in this in this situation, I'll just say, if there, is, like, if there's initiative, like, we're retraining our sales force to follow these new protocols to sell to these kinds of customers. If we're uh, Pushing a new tool in to track disciplines of how we spend and measure the businesses. If there's real things like that happening, those are real things. Yeah. You know, mottos about how we want to think in the company, not so much. Yeah. It can okay. be, but not always. Okay. All right. Okay. Great. So that's business orientation. Okay. And you have got a window, and and I would just say this: if you're in the middle of a job and you're not just starting a job, there's no reason I always any time to go get that business orientation anyway. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, especially if there's a change of management, you're basically working for a new company when you have change of senior right. management. That's right. Okay. So then the next orientation is job orientation. Now this is an interesting thing. Now this is this is even um, before we get to priorities what's going to happen to Tracy is there's going to be a lot of forces that are, that are going to tell her what her job is. Yep. Her team is going to tell her what her job is. Be Maggie (laughs) or, you know, put these fires out that Maggie already, always puts out or give me these answers that Maggie always, and her peers might say, Hey, every time I ask for this, Maggie just found a way to get it done. Um, I don't, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of people, or could you could she could Tracy could orient herself towards the little sound bites that Jack tends to give to her every so once in a while, you know what I mean? So in other words, there's there's this decision about job orientation, and what we can do is we can underestimate how much we can actually define the job for ourselves mm-hmm. with these yeah. forces. This is why I'm friends also with our buddy Nate Regier is that to do that, you're gonna to have to have some conflict, right? Yeah, you know, right. you gotta be comfortable with conflict, but that's in the inner game. But seriously, so in other words, I would have a T chart for like, here's where people are comfortable with what your role has always been and done. But here's what the job really, what you think the job really is, and how that serves as a better asset to the company in this season of the company Great. and this team, right? So you have to see the you have to see the tension between those things and the gap. You have to outline that and orient like one list is whatever what I'm getting, you know, all the intelligence I'm getting about what everybody wants it to be. Because you do have to acknowledge the gap, the pain, because you may or may some of those on that side of the list you may step into and do a little bit of, right? Mm-hmm. Just to you know, put an immediate fire out or you know, get to know your team a little bit, whatever the case may be. But the other side of the list, you have to very clearly say is what do I think this job really is? And make it a real list. Yeah. And yeah. that takes a little bit of time, but that exercise alone is wildly powerful. Like before you get to, we're not even in priorities yet. We're not one even. of the things
1: I see, and I get why we haven't done priorities yet. One of the things that I see in people is They think the job is too big. So they go to their boss to define the priorities. Mm -hmm. You know, you tell me what this job is. Right. They never get an adequate answer. Right. (laughs) Because the boss sort of doesn't know. And I contend it's actually your job. And therefore, it's for you to figure out what is in that scope and what is not in that scope and advocate accordingly. Right. Because and I think that's what you're saying here is, you know, everybody, if you ask the team and you ask the peers and you probably ask the upper management and you ask marketing, you ask data analytics, they want you to do everything. Everything. But if you do that, you're going to end up either having Maggie. a massive team or being burned out. Yeah. Okay. That's right.
2: All right. So it's never, and the borders you define on job will never be comfortable. They weren't comfortable for Maggie right? And, and and they're not going to be, compl- but okay, we're, we'll get into the inner game in a little bit to deal with that discomfort. But just to have, it does bring some peace just to get that list clear. And it's always kind of a list you have to keep. I coach my clients to have thematic journals, which I mean by thematic journals is journals where you keep categories of things that you keep running lists of that are macro issues ar- around all these orientations. I don't okay. use words, you know, to yep. probably a little word spaghetti there, but just to have that T-chart, like here's what I believe the job really is. And, and, and you think about the other part is here's what's the real business momentum. Right. That's the, you know, and, and business momentum orientation is here's what they're really spending money on. And here's what they're really trying to push and do for real. And it's not just an idea out there. It's Things are happening with it, and then this is my job orientation. I have a golden thread now is with the job people want the job to be. Here's what I think it is, and begin to see the gap and acknowledge that this is this is a, this is an evolving thing, right.
1: Okay. okay, all right, and Maggie, just before you go on, it strikes me, we started this as Tracy has entered this job, and so she's new in the role. Yeah, but you could be have been in that role for years, right. And still, you know, a change in senior management, a change in initiative direction, a new hire, let's say in data analytics. I mean, all of those things would signal a shift in what is important at the business level. Mm -hmm. And even if you've been in that job for five years, it may be a moment to stop and take stock. What is my job need to be now versus what have I always done?
2: many times have we seen this situation where we all get comfortable in what we know and do and how we've done it, and the companies just made three or four major decisions that would have massive implications about how your function needs to function. <laughs> and nobody's thinking about it. revisiting that for you or with yeah. you, and yeah. and the, the the volume of work in current state is extremely high. You You have to be the one to throw your foot in the wheel and say, wait a minute. And so these exercises we're really talking about, these orientations are something that I think have to be periodically done to advocate for yourself. That's okay. A great right. point. Okay.
1: Great. All right. So we've got two job orientations, the business orientation and the job orientation. You said there was a third.
2: There's a third, and this is all still the outer game. My gosh, we haven't even gotten to the inner game yet. Right. <laughs> the third one is really where is the priority orientation. Okay. Now this is interesting. Now we finally can start to say, I think we need the other ones before we can even touch priorities. So priority orientation is then, this is where, you know, only through learning to grow up as a leadership, in a leadership career through experience, can you start to get the feel of it? Obviously people are going to tell you what they think their are the data analytics people, the customers, service people, the salespeople will tell Tracy what her priorities should be, of course. But with all this context, Tracy needs to go, okay, What really are, what do I want to make the priorities based on the most critical realities that are operational and um, critical to the health of the way, critical to the health of the team and the health of, and let me break this down. So in other words, What she's got to do is think about some it's a give and take some priorities that you can't fight. Like if a a senior executive throws something on her and she's new to the company, it might be very much that's a battle I can't fight right now. Mm -hmm. I have to make that a priority. We're being realistic. But Tracy, as well as she needs to also believe she can define what the job is she has to have her own true beliefs about what the real priority should be based on the business realities and the healthiest way to get there. And I say the healthiest way, I'm also a fan of uh, Pat Lencioni's work uh, and, and the advantage, his book and all of that stuff, because I think just making it about not, how do we do this in a way that's healthy? You know, we're not going to burn people out entirely. In other words, part of the priorities has to be not only what we're doing with the business, but how we're getting these results. Right. Right. You know, you know, right. we, we have humans working for us, not bots, you know, so, and um, this is really powerful leadership. So she, she's, she not only owns a way to create her own job. What I say this a lot to my clients is <coughs> you might not control all your circumstance. You <coughs> certainly don't. But you do you do have a lot more control over what you estate, what you want as the leadership environment around you. Okay. Yep. And so her priorities have to be multifaceted against the business, you know, what the job really is. And it and it can't be like, and and what's the health of the environment she's creating with her team and also with her peers, with her boss. Those have to be on the list. Now. You know, it's a give and take. Do we always control our priorities? No. But the worst case scenario is if you don't define what you think the job is, and my gosh, you don't really have any of your own list of the real priorities. You're letting them all be handed to you. Right.
1: Or you think somebody else is going to define them for you, which you're then hostage to that person's list of priorities, not necessarily what your team needs or what they see in the job. And you're also not being the strategic thinker you need to be thinking.
2: Right. These, these things all sit behind managing the job as an asset to the company and the team, as an asset, as a valued resource for the, t- the company. Uh, and it's your job to figure out what that looks like. Okay. Absolutely. All right. I, well, I know too many people who say, great,
1: I've got, I've got a meeting set up with my boss and we're going to sit down and talk about my priorities. And the conversation goes along the lines of, I'd like to know what your priorities are for me and my team. And it doesn't go anywhere. And I think what you've got to do is to come to that meeting prepared with exactly what you've said. So let me see if I can script this conversation for you, Amy. (laughs) Which starts with, I see that our investment, let's say, in digital or in data analytics is massive and that's the future of what is gonna drive our success as a business. There's my golden thread. Um, I believe this job is about interfacing seamlessly with data analytics and marketing teams so that we make sure we're delivering what they've actually promised we will deliver. And I personally believe that means the priorities of what my team needs to be doing can realistically do in the next six months, two years, is one, two, three. And then we can have a discussion. But until I've articulated that for my boss, I'm not going to get anywhere because the boss isn't going to think about it. The boss is thinking about that for his job, right? Um, you got to think about it for your job, right? Like, did I get that straight, Amy? Am you I get right? That you're going?
2: really well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <was> very good.
1: <laughs> All right. So Tracy goes away. She asks a bunch of people questions. She talks to her team. She talks to a bunch of people. She comes back and she decides. Or business orientation or job orientation or priority orientation. All right. What does she do then?
2: Okay. So basically, you know, you start creating some stakes in the ground. You have to make some calls and it's very fluid, but you start making some calls. Now, what is this going to do? Well, guess what? There's going to be people that are going to hear some things from you for the first time. Like, you know, if this is my priorities or these are the things you're going to have to get let me, let me back up and say this. Let me just back a few steps up before I get too far ahead of myself. What's good about the, the, the orientation so far is I want to point this out that will help Tracy set up advocates for her. Okay. In other words, we have to give advocates the equipment to be advocates. So, Her own work of orientation is essentially like the the platform that they can use. Yeah. Okay. So that's very important because there's going to be a ton of conflict that comes out of this kind of stuff, no matter what, because once you do that, you know, the team might not like her. Of course, because we've always done Her team might be comfortable doing what they've already done, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, and part of your priorities is, you know, what has to change faster inside of the world that you have some sphere of control versus right. what you live with right. and you have to kind of timeline some things out. It's just, you know, it's leadership in the yep. middle of management. It's a lot of work. Okay. So, really where I'm going to go, I want to go to the inner game. And I, you know, um, are we ready to go to the inner game? That's we what probably, I want was probably a perfect place to take a break.
3: Yeah. So... <clears throat> Let's
1: review this. We have a person who's just taken of her job where the expectations from everybody is for her to do more, for her and her team to do more than is humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And we know that because the last person in this job um, resigned out of burnout. And we know the current team is sort of burned out. We also know that the organization is heaping on more pressures mm-hmm. as they're expecting a stronger performance out of sales and their marketing and they're expecting much greater data analytics because you see that in the hires that they made and the systems that they're put in and so on. And her team has to interface with those too. So the job didn't get smaller, the job got bigger. Right. <laughs> okay, now she got a bigger title, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is the job itself got bigger. So Tracy has to, before she can advocate for herself, she has to go away and just do her outer game work, which is really around three orientations. The business orientation, what's the golden thread for where the business is going in the future and giving money and putting money behind and really means it. You want to be on that bandwagon because if you're on that bandwagon, you're getting a lot more supporters and you're you're ignoring the bandwagon or on a different one.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Second one is job orientation. Forget the job description. Forget what Maggie did. Forget in part what your boss says you need to be doing think what you think this job should be given what you now know about the company. And yes, there's some tensions there to be negotiated. Yes. Check. And then we have to do a priority orientation. So some things are going to go on that list because of who asked me, but some other things I can say not today. And some other things I can say no. And some other things I can say, we'll get to that in year two, but not right now. Mm -hmm. So business orientation, job orientation and process orientation. And because I've now aligned all of this behind what's really big initiative in the company and what people are really caring about, I've got the option to get advocates, stakeholders on board with what I'm trying to achieve. There you go. All right, that's the outer game. All right, I have to tell you, I cannot tell you how many people I see who are in a job, new manager comes in, they don't even change their jobs, new manager comes in. New manager has a different set of priorities because that's what new managers do and probably what the company wanted. They put in a whole bunch of new initiatives. They put a different focus in your language and business orientation. And the person sitting in their old job says, well, I know how to do my job. I'll just keep doing the same job I've been doing.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And six months later, the manager has organized right around them. (laughs) A year later, that job is reorganized right out of the group. Right. Because it's no longer relevant, quote unquote, to what the new manager is trying to do. Okay. So you can bury your head in the sand, but there are consequences. That's right. right. So my guest today, Amy Bailock, as you can tell, Amy is passionate about helping leaders understand their inner peace as the fuel for their performance. So we've just talked about the performance side of it, the outer game. When we come back from break, we're going to focus on the inner game. We'll be right back.
3: Group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive. All on out of the comfort zone.com. We hope you'll join us.
0: If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum. Helping organizations get it and keep it.
3: This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
1: Welcome back to the show. With me today is Amy Baylock We have been talking about a case study, a case of Tracy taking on a job from somebody else that turns out to be bigger than she expected it to be bigger than is maybe humanly possible with a team that's burned out and expectations are not declining, nor is her boss making it particularly easy to say, do this and don't do this. And we've been talking about the three kinds of outer orientations you need to do the work on business, job and priorities. Okay, Amy, let's go to the inner work that needs to be done. Tell us about this.
2: Okay. So, there's a couple. I could go on for long, but we'll just pick a few of my hot ones. Okay. First piece of inner work, of course, if you go back to the episode that you and I already recorded, you know, that piece over performance is that to understand that your self-acceptance, your peace self, always worthy, love, and learning is the place that you're working from. So, self-acceptance, which means that uh, You will be judged when you're in a situation like this so many different ways from so many different people. And some of those judgments will be fair and some will be unfair. Mm -hmm. And circumstances will work in your favor and circumstances will work against your favor. And there will be up days and very down days. Um, When you are in a place of your peace self, you know this first, right, and foremost, that your job is not your identity. And in fact, the exact perfect Perfect performance of your job is not your identity. It's something you're navigating. And when you are in a good place of healthy self acceptance, you can take the bruises and bumps and turbulence that comes with trying to figure this thing out and be honest, emotionally honest with how, you know, be graceful to yourself, what you're learning and how you're absorbing it, and let yourself have some negative feelings and work through them productively, and also be self critical in a productive way. Like, in other words, that, so what happens, the mistake that Maggie made, let's make Maggie a, 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 an example of struggling. When, when something went wrong around Maggie, Maggie indicted herself and completely indicted herself and put herself completely down and, and was very, very, very hard on herself. And so she didn't want to disappoint anyone. So she tried to outwork it all where Tracy has to come in and say, hey, people are going to be mad There's going to be tension. There's going to be great days. I'm going to win some over. I won't win them all. I'm going to learn all the way along the way. And uh, my worth is untouchable, but I do have to navigate value for the work I'm doing. I do have to navigate a leadership environment in the audience of my team and my peers and my bosses. And that's just going to be, you know, that's a journey. Uh, But I'll be okay through it. Mm -hmm. That's the first most valuable piece of the inner game. So if I sum that up, the peace
1: self is accepting that you're not going to make everybody happy. Absolutely not. Because if you try to make everybody happy, you're going to make yourself miserable and you're going to kill right.
3: your team.
1: It's just start right. there as a particular place. But equally, if you make your team happy all the time, you're going to disappoint a lot of other people. So I, I just start with this. somebody's going to be upset with you all the time. Right. And recognize sometimes you get that right. Sometimes you get that wrong. Sometimes decisions go in your favor. Sometimes they don't go in your favor. None of them say anything about your worth as a leader or to Mm -hmm. the company.
2: Okay. So going back to your beautiful work uh, in your book, The other piece of inner game is to understand that this is about the power of dialogue. It's not about the subject matter expertise you have. It's not about going into meetings and trying to be this me in every single situation and trying to, uh, you know, uber prepare. You can't always uber prepare. This is about dialogue. And so in situations like this, there is an inventory that's sitting in front of Tracy. Mm -hmm. And the inventory is a set of conversations that are most, the most, and I'll say them, they're the most valuable shared realities, valuable shared realities. So between Tracy, sales operations, which she leads, and data analytics guy or gal, or chief revenue officer or sales regional manager, every single person that has touches her organization to either work well together or not work well together, they have. Uh, um, valuable shared realities. Mm -hmm. And if you look at all those orientations on the outer game, you can almost then log, what are the most valuable shared reality conversations I have with all these stakeholders? And you've got to be able, the one thing that really messes people up is when you're working from a different base of context than someone else. Okay. And your context is not aligned. So therefore every time you try to talk about anything big or small, you get all tumbled around with each other. And if you have conflict in that, if you have conflict and the context isn't aligned, we, have, we haven't had the right shared reality conversations or context. And then we start having conflict, which turns, if we talk about our friend Nate Regeer in his book, you know, Conflict Without Casualties, and it turns into drama, then we get into these irreparable bad situations, right? Right. And you walk into these traps and you sort of set them yourself. So it's Uh basically saying, hey, I've got to get out there and have some. And I know it's crazy. You're going to have to let some fires burn because this takes time. You don't just wing some of these conversations. You got to sit down and really think about what you need to say, what you need to ask. But what I normally do when I'm coaching my clients is I get influence map going on. And I said, what is the, you know, now that we got all the orientations, what's the, the, the most valuable shared reality conversations that you need to have? with this person, you know, and that inner game means that you, your inner game, you have to be comfortable understanding how to have very healthy, real conversations about hard things in an effective way and learn your inner game. You have to be a master, learn your mastery of, of turning conflict into creative energy. And that's why I like Nate's work. And so If there's any place that, as a leader, you should never underinvest in and underinvest in your own training, coaching, and development is where conflict skills and dialogue skills, you know, are in play. Because you know you see too many people winging it, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: or going off of just emotion, or getting into the quicksand of drama, and these things get out of hand. And the earlier and the better you have these conversations and the, cons- the consistency you can have around them, the stronger you get. But this is all inner game stuff because, you know, even if you're somebody who's very objective, you know, you really got to think about how do you have, what are these conversations that I need to have? And sometimes we just don't have a clear set of that in our inner, our, inside of ourselves. Right. We're just, you know, responding to what's coming at us,
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, Responding and not actually resolving. So the point of these conversations is with key people around me and key influence, Matt, some of which might be more senior, some of what might be peer level or down. I'm talking about each of our shared realities yeah. based on the orientations that we already described. Mm hmm. So what I'm looking for then is differences in our shared reality and the right. conflicts around our shared reality, a willingness to put that on the table and work our way through it.
2: Right. I have a beautiful client that's one of the best leaders I've ever worked with, and she, a new peer just got hired into her world. And this peer does not want to agree with her about all this stuff, right, you know, and is already starting to push back and fight. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a little unhealthy. And she said, right. My first goal is just to figure out how do we have all these contextually conversations, and then we can solve that other problem. We got to find out if we can even have, we got to, we got to work on having these conversations and, and I, you know, that's what she's working on. right? Right. So, yeah. So that
1: sounds, you know, most people go into a job and they say, let me prove what I can do. Mm-hmm. and then I'll have the context conversation. And you're saying, no, have the context conversation about our understanding of the current reality, what mm-hmm. we share in common about that current reality. Deal with the conflict that's around our perceptions of what the problem really is that we're trying to solve here. And then we can talk about going out to prove that you can do the job.
2: Is that right? right? Did I get that right? Okay. Yeah, because the danger of doing it the other way is you could start doing things. it will be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. And, they won't and you say get it to pulled you. in
1: five different directions and you never get anything done.
2: Well, the other thing is you want to test the ground to see what level of dialogue you can really get into with people. That's the other thing. I'm always curious about how how effective <laughs> conversations and we because once, you know, you can have a really rich two way street with somebody, you can work with them with that understanding. And that's really great. And plus, everybody wants to have their world honored for a bit, you know what I mean? Like, come on, you know, like they want to know that you understand what's going on in their world and you can connect your context in your world with their context, use their words to connect into your world. And you need those conversations to do that. But do you think about the patience and maturity, emotional intelligence and all maturity it takes to have these? That's big inner game stuff.
1: That's big game. Yep.
2: Okay. Um, Next one, to be really quick, uh, it's, yep. I see this, okay, so I'm, one, I'm, a, I'm a certifying the tool called the Harrison, but I just want to bring this up because I see this as a data point all the time. People, uh, we will hesitate to assert our own personal needs. We don't like asking for help. Uh, we avoid asking for help because we don't want to seem incompetent or we don't want to look stupid uh, or we don't want to look like we're self-serving. It's a strategic advantage to a uh, position where you actually truly need help to be able to effectively uh, help in this situation, right? And I will do teams, and the entire team will uh, not have a comfort level for asking help, and I can get the data on this, and this is widespread, And when I really get into why this is, is people are like, yeah, they are very self-sacrificing in ways. Like, you know, I don't feel like it's my place to ask for that or I should know that subject matter expertise should come in. But asking for help for what you personally need to succeed to in your role isn't about getting ahead of others. It's about being effective for the entire system. So we have to get comfortable with where do I genuinely need to ask for help and be very specific about it and tie it to how I am helping other people through this support and, and not be shy about it. See, and this ties back to peace self because um, you being helpable is strategic. Being helpless is self-defeating, yeah. right? So, you know, when we don't ask for help, we become quietly quietly (coughs) helpless. When we don't ask for help, we become quietly helpless. And then, you know, all the other things we've talked about can just start to glom onto that. So, you know, what I like, the question I love to ask my clients is where have you effectively asked for the most valuable help you could use and how and support? But if you think about the outer game, and if we've done all their stuff on the outer game, it's much easier to ask for the right kind of help if you've had value, you know, the valuable shared reality conversations, it's much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see people that just don't ask for help. They, you know, they try to do too much on, on, on their own. Uh, you know, I see. And when we talk about men and women, sometimes I see this a little bit more with, with women. You know, it's like they take on a lot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, try to figure it out completely on their own. And, and it's not a, it, it's just, you know, like work ethic. Like I work, you know, I can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm smart. I can get it done. I've always been able to get it done. I'll just dig a little deeper until there's no
1: deeper to dig to get there. Um, I get that there's a self-orientation that sells. I should be able to do it myself. Mm-hmm. I've always succeeded by doing it myself and a sense of fear of failure that if I ask for help, that means I'm admitting I'm failure do you see any other thing that keeps people from feeling that it's okay to ask for help?
2: Um, I hear, I ask this all the time. You think I have more? I, I, sometimes I think people um, don't know. Sometimes people don't ask for help because they don't know how to ask for it. They don't know what to ask for.
3: <laughs>
2: and they don't want to put anything on anybody else because they see how hard everybody's working. But if you've done all this backdrop work we've talked about, when you're asking for help well you know if i if i get this help it's going to make a lot of things better for all of us mm-hmm. um i had a leader who um you know needed someone to help him get involved in a project and he was like hey i started this thing i should finish it but the cost it was creating for his team was it was distracting him from making decisions and doing things for his team that his team needed him to do
3: mm-hmm.
2: so to not bother somebody else, he was taking away from some other attention that was important. Right. It does
1: come back to if I understand um, business priorities or I understand the business golden thread and the real priorities of my job and then my personal priorities in that role, like what really matters, it's a lot easier to say if I get this wrong Mm -hmm. The consequences are high for everybody. So let me get the right resources or ask for help or ask for support or check my um, expectations. Agreed. All right. So we've got three inner work pieces so far. One is that sense of self-acceptance, peace self, where my job is not my identity. My value is my value. That's it, period. I'm valuable and my work is just one of those things that happens along the way that I'm navigating. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't go well. So some sense, some might call that self-worth. I let your sense of peace sell. I've had these uh, very powerful conversations, dialogues with people around our understanding of the shared realities that we're in, where we're inconsistent inconsistent. And I now recognize that my hesitancy to ask for help is not doing anybody any service, especially in the context of all the other outer work that I've done. Is there more? Are there more, Amy? You one. Talk? One
2: more. One, yeah, more. one okay. more. Okay. Okay. I say uh, treat relationships as a long-term timeline, a long timeline versus an event. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. This is the, this is where we go into being intelligent about relationships versus being drama about relationships. Uh, sometimes you'll start working with people, whether you've been working with them for a while or you're like Tracy just coming in and you know everybody's getting their first impression and you have situations, meetings don't go well, conversations don't go well, and we can get into a fixed mindset and say, that person's a jerk and I'm never gonna like working with them and I'm done. Now, some people are gonna turn out to be people you can't work with in a percentage of time. There might be some people like that, but most of the time, relationships will go through seasons and evolve. And it's the quality of the conversations that we can have and me taking my time in with that person and allowing relationships to live on a timeline and put them in a growth mindset that you know Carol DeWick's work is, you know, this can to change. I am a changing, I have a future self. This relationship has a future self. But if I treat relationships in a fixed mindset, is once you've done me wrong in a conversation or once we've had this thing, then you're on my X list, you know, if you do that with peers, whoever you put on the X list is going to limit your leadership capacity, just FYI. So you have to think about who really gets on that list. So if you have leaders who treat people with a fixed mindset about relationships, if they're in a fixed mindset about relationships, then my goodness, you know, that's going to cause a lot of hidden issues. And so we have to get our heads straight about what's going on with that.
1: Okay, Amy, how do you get people to do this? I have clients at the moment that I'm working with, oh my goodness, (laughs) pulling teeth to get them to see that they have have made a decision about somebody based on data from three years ago, and unmovable. Okay, you're right. Relationships evolve. People evolve, circumstances evolve, my interpretation might have been one, it might not be the only one. I play into how that dynamic in that relationship works. Not just the other person as an independent actor. How do you get people to see the Lord? You know what? Game? There's
2: three great words. We can talk, we'll have we could have I might be your third guest. Third, there you go. <laughs> we, there's three great words we don't have time for, but there's a difference between somebody being difficult, different, and dangerous. Okay. okay. And that could be a whole nother podcast, seriously. It, it really could. No, so difficult people, which are just, you know, there's some behavior between theirs, or I might be sharing that difficulty. It could be mutual difficulty because we have behaviors that don't don't mesh, but that doesn't necessarily indict the potential of the relationship, right? Yep. yep. Uh, different. Doesn't necessarily mean different, but they're just different. They think very differently. They're very different. And it takes a lot more work for us to kind of find our way in these conversations because we are just, we come from very culturally different backgrounds, different Different styles, different. And we have to, we have to figure out how to use our differences as an asset. Believe me, relationships, people don't just experience your leadership by you, by yourself. They experience Uh your leadership in partnership with others. Right. And that's critical. So if you're going to give up that leadership asset, you better think about it. And then there's truly dangerous. There are some people that are, you know, a percentage of people that are that you could say, you know, yeah. that's a very dangerous person to work with. And fortunately, in my 15 years, that's been a smaller percentage. But sometimes what we do is we label more people dangerous than when they're really difficult and different. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, it's so easy to label people. That's the first thing I find
1: that we just label them and then we dismiss them as a result. And what you're advocating for is A, watch your labeling and B, recognize that relationships evolve. And I'm going to add C, you play into the perpetuation of the current state. That's right. change what you do and you're going to change the outcome of the current state. Yes. All right. So let's go back to Tracy. Yeah. Two minutes that we have remaining here, Tracy. So Tracy's done all of her outer work, her business orientation, job orientation, priority orientation. She's done her inner work to make sure that she's really solid on her sense of peace self on the kind of shared reality, she said, with key people, on her willingness to ask for help and her notion that relationships evolve over time. That's the inner work that gives her the confidence, the peace in your language to battle some of the difficult, conflicting outer work conversations. And then I presume at the end of the story, Tracy has to decide what she does, what she doesn't do, whether she's advocating for re- more resources, different kind of resources. But it's only in the context of having done all of this work is she ready to be a strong advocate for herself.
2: Yes. And I can to tell you what's going to happen, Tracy. She may not solve all the big problems and there might be still a lot of stuff going on, but she's going to be respected as a leader. Great. Right. Great. That's amazing.
1: Amy, <laughs> my guest for the day, what an amazing conversation and a great story and a great set of analysis points. Amy Baylog, executive coach, facilitator, writer, speaker, and her company is called Connection Point. And you can certainly find her on LinkedIn at, and also at hashtag pieceoverperformance. So Amy, thanks for joining us. It was great. <laughs> right. Thank and you. Join us next week for more wisdom in getting
0: out of your comfort zone.